Good morning. We're glad to see every single one of you here today. As you know, we've had some uh, in people that couldn't come because of various reasons. Tom and Kathy are on a vacation in Alaska, and Linda and Robert are suffering from physical stuff that didn't get better yet, and now Sally has COVID. So we had a lot of attrition this week, but we have a lovely crew of singers here, and we have a lovely crew of technicians here, and we have a pastor, and we have all you guys, and it's no accident that we're all together here today. So thank you for being here. I'm going to read to you from the Billy Graham uh, Trial to Triumph, Walk in Wisdom, Redeeming the Time. This is for May 29th. Is it May 29th? I checked, and I think it is. Sounds about right. Okay. The master musician knows that suffering precedes glory and acclaim. He or she knows the hours, days, and months of grueling practice and self-sacrifice that precede the one hour of perfect rendition when his efforts are applauded. The master craftsman knows that years of work, sacrifice, and suffering as an apprentice precede his being promoted to the master of his trade. The student knows that years of study, self-denial, and commitment precede the triumphant day of graduation with honors. As astronauts spend years training for a flight that can be as short as a few days. The Bible teaches that sacrifice and discipline are necessary if we are to be faithful servants of Christ. Paul wrote, I discipline my body and bring it to subjection, lest when I have preached to others I myself should become disqualified. That is from 1 Corinthians 9.27. Discipline your time, discipline your eyes, discipline your mind, discipline your body, all for the sake of Christ. And I'm going to read you what it says in 2 Corinthians. It refers to it in the hope for today. 2 Corinthians 10.5, because I think this is so key in our lives, especially right now. Um, we, uh, 2 Corinthians 10.5. We pull down every proud obstacle that is raised against the knowledge of God. We take every thought captive and make it obey Christ. And the reason I think that's so important is we often look at our behavior or our actions and say we wish we had done something different. But it's our thoughts that lead us to do those things that aren't in, in accordance with Christ. So, and we can do that. We can take authority. I used to have a horrible problem because... I taught school, and then I was principal of a school, and I was, I'd get so wound up with everything that's going on and taking on everybody, all the kids' burdens and praying for my teachers and all this kind of stuff, and I'd lie there at night and just, you know, go over and over and over and over, and I couldn't go to sleep. And it was getting to be really epidemic in my life. And I finally just said to Jesus, I can't do this anymore. And he said, why have you been doing it all this time? And I said, well, how do I stop? He said, you stop. That's what you do, you stop. And he gave me permission to do what I was trying to do in my own strength, which was just say no to all those thoughts, just to turn them off. I was changing a thing. I wasn't doing anybody any good. I was tired all the time. I was wound up all the time. I wasn't solving anything. I was just worrying, really. And I finally learned from Jesus to just say no to those thoughts that were taking me apart and instead to let the peace of God, which passes all understanding, reign in my heart and in my life. 
and I'm so thankful for that lesson I learned. The hope for today is how we spend our time, what we see, and what we think about matter. Our entire existence is to be a living sacrifice to the God who created us and awaits us in glory. Jesus, we ask right now for your Holy Spirit to move in our hearts and minds, that we would be free of the things that worry us. We see so much on the TV. We hear so much on the news. We see, get texts. We are with people constantly and picking up, carrying their burdens and feeling so exhausted with the enormity of the job. And you never asked us to do that job. You asked us to bring it to you and leave it there. And so we ask for that kind of freedom in our minds and our hearts so that we would be ready and disciplined to do and be whoever you need us to be when you're calling us to do whatever you want us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord, I lift your name on high. 
sing your praises. I'm so glad you're in my life. I'm so glad you came to save us. You came from heaven to earth to show the way from the earth to the cross. My death to pay from the cross to the grave, from the grave to the Testament reading today is from Psalm 93. The Lord reigns. He is clothed with, clothed with majesty. The Lord is clothed. He has girded himself with strength. Surely the world is established so that it cannot be removed. Your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting. 
The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lifted up their waves. The Lord on high is mightier than the noise of many waters, than the mighty waves of the sea. Your testimonies are very sure. Holiness adorns your house, O Lord, forever. You join me in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, verses 44 through 53. Then he said, When I was with you before, I told you, that, told you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said, Yes. It was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. It was also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all nations, 
beginning in Jerusalem. There is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. You are witnesses of all these things. And now I will send the Holy Spirit, just as my Father promised. But stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. Then Jesus led them to Bethany, and lifting his hands to heaven, he blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up to heaven. So they worshipped him and then returned to Jerusalem, filled with great joy. And they spent all of their time in the temple praising God. Join us now in the responsive reading. Jesus, Lord, to you I pray. Guide and guard me through this day. As the shepherd tends his sheep, Lord, me safe from evil keep. Keep my feet from every snare. Keep me with your watchful care. All my needs supply, if I live or if I die. And when life, O oh Lord, is past, take me to yourself at last. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, all, you created all. You put the, created the universe, put it all in motion, and started all that has led to this point in time. But you, you do require uh, us to give back. You encourage us. You tell us that since it belongs to you, to share back. So, Lord, the gifts we give today, we ask that they be blessed and that they be used wisely and used to further your kingdom so that others who, for whatever reason, have not come to know you, that we can be part of those that, that some of the people that bring the joy of being part of your family to them. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You want to rise for the doxology? Good morning. Uh, we're going to talk today um, in Revelation chapter 2 as we continue our series on the seven churches. And we're going to skip, we're going to go up that north in the, along the Aegean Sea to uh, Smyrna. And uh, let me read the text. It's Revelation chapter 2, beginning verse 8. To the angel of the church in Smyrna, write, These are the words of him who is the first and the last who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. 
I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you. You will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. Well, uh, Smyrna, we were down in, uh, in Ephesus last week, and we're moving up, uh, moving up the coast. You can see uh, Ephesus there, and then you just go up um, in, in another inlet into what uh, Smyrna, eight, 42 miles north of Ephesus. And as in, in Ephesus, there's an excellent harbor. The outer harbor had deep water. Inner harbor had a narrow entrance that could be chained off well. So it was a good place strategically. The population in New Testament times, they estimate at about uh, 100,000. So uh, if you remember, Ephesus was 250,000, somewhere around there. So, you know, not, not the size of Ephesus, but still a significant city. They exported tobacco, grapes, figs, cotton, olives, and olive oil. Um, and when we, a uh, number of years ago, there was a couple in the church, uh, at that point it was called uh, Saguaro Canyon Community Church, and, um, and there was a family in there, and they had a son, and he got married to a girl from, from Smyrna, Ephesus, and, he was an ex- and her dad was an exporter um, in, uh, and out of Smyrna, and he was exporting olives, olive oil, figs, you know, all kinds of different stuff. So it's still carrying on today that there's a lot of, it's a fertile area and there's still a lot of exporting goes out, uh, you know, from Smyrna in that area. Um, Smyrna also stood at the entrance of a broad fertile valley called Mermis at the mouth of the river Meles. And it was strategically placed then. Um, you can see the roads going inland there. Um, and so both from Ephesus and from Smyrna then, you could connect up the roads. So both from the sea and also from inland, there were lots of uh, roads and so on. That, so lots of trade. And Turkey, uh, tur- do that next slide again. Just to show you, um, this is you know what what would have been called Asia Minor, and then other provinces as well in in biblical times. But all around the coast, um, there are you know it's it's they're very fertile areas, pretty much all the way around the country, and then you go up into what's called the Anatolian Plateau, and so much of the interior of what is uh, today called Turkey is this Anatolian plateau. It's high country, but it's not as fertile. You know, they would produce uh, wheat and things like that. Uh, But not as much rain, not as much fertility, but lots of area. So, when Jesus said, who died and came to life again, it was an imagery which the Smyrnans know very well. Because Smyrna had been, it had been a great city, and then because of earthquakes and so on, and invasions, they had been reduced and there was just for a while, it was little towns, little towns dotted along the coast, but then gradually uh, it was rebuilt 
And so they, you know, when Jesus said he died and came to life again, it was kind of symbolic of Smyrna because Smyrna had died and come back to life again as a, as a small city. And there was a hill named the Pagos back of the city. Uh, next slide. And you can almost see it now, um, but there's a, there's a whole a horseshoe, um, uh, huh? Yeah, a horseshoe bay. And you can see the hills, and the hills go all around the city. And so along the city then, um, it was, there was, you know, these hills and then a horseshoe bay. And so it was called um, the crown of Asia because it looked like a crown. It was also very beautiful. Um, Strabo, a historian, described it as the most beautiful city in the world. Men called it the ornament of Asia, the crown of Asia, and the flower of Asia. On their coins, they wrote, first of Asia. So they're very proud of the beauty. Strabo says its beauty was due to the handsomeness of the streets, the excellence of the paving, and the regular arrangement in rectangular blocks. So it was uh, you know, very, very much known for its beauty. It was also the city of Homer, uh, the poet historian. And because of Smyrna's allegiance to Rome, she enjoyed, in quote, the eventless existence of a city which suffered few disasters and had an almost unbroken career of prosperity. So a very prosperous city. Um, and she also had alliances with all the rest of the six cities that, we've, uh, that we'll be looking at. But it was a major pagan center, so it was very much apostate as Ephesus was. And there was a street of gold that wrapped around that, that crown, okay, and curving around the slope from east to west, and there was a temple of Cybele at one end, a temple to Zeus at the other end. So very much a, you know, worshiping pagan Greek deities. And at the foot of the mountain stood the temple of Zeus, who was the father of the gods, regarded as the lord of the sky, rain, clouds, and thunder. So uh, lots, of, uh, lots of pagan worship going on. And along that golden street stood the shrines of Apollo, the sun god, Aphrodite, the goddess of love and beauty, Asclepius, the god of me medicine, and then the Cybele was the kind of the patron uh, goddess of the city of Smyrna. And her worship, as remember we talked about last week with Ephesus, that the worship of, of um, Diana or Artemis was, was wild sexual times. It was the same kind of thing with Cybele, um, kind of wild, unrestrained, um, what they would call as worship. And as, but as the giver of wealth, it, it was depict, de depicted as enthroned and wearing a crown of battlements and towers. Okay, so there was lots of pagan worship, but there was also um, emperor worship. And let me explain the whole thing of emperor worship. Um, worship of the emperor, the Roman Empire, established that every person in the empire needed to declare allegiance to Caesar. And so what they would do is they would once a year, they would hold a, a, a festival thing and everybody in, 
in the Roman Empire had to go up and take a little pinch of incense and put it on the altar and declare, Caesar is Lord. Okay, and it was compulsory. Every single year, you had to re-declare that you were, you know, that, that Caesar was your Lord. Well, of course, the Christians had a real problem with that because we say Christ is Lord. And this is the source of a lot of the persecution that came from the Romans. There was all, Romans. There was also persecution from the Jews, but the persecution from the Roman Empire was because the Christians would not declare allegiance to Caesar. The modern city of Izmir is, or the modern city of Smyrna is called Izmir today. And we have, we have spent a lot of time in Izmir, have a lot of friends there and so on. And even today, Izmir has been termed the Paris of the Levant. So it's a, it's a very modern, very cosmopolitan city, probably the most European city in all of Turkey today. So that same kind of a, of atmosphere has continued to this day. Cosmopolitan, European, um, and it always votes with the secularists, and, and so it's not, uh, you know, it's not, it's not, it's known as not a very Islamic city, where some of the others are. Today, Izmir is the third largest city in Turkey, has a population of about three million people. And Izmir belonged to Greece until 1923, uh, when there was a population swap between the Greeks and the Turks. This was right after the First World War. And they had a population swap, and many of the Greeks um, went to, you know, back to Greece, and the Turks came back to, who were in Greece, came back to live in, um, in, in Turkey. All right, now let's shift to the church in Smyrna. It says in verse 9, I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you're able, about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. Now, it's interesting that this... this uh, this that's given to the church in Smyrna, there are only two of the churches of the seven in which there were no corrections. And Smyrna is one of those. All right, there's no, you know, nevertheless or but, um, but this. Uh, they were just commended. The angel just, or the Jesus gave to the angel just commendations of, of what Smyrna had done. Um, now, as far as we know, Paul did not plant Smyrna, even though it was 40, 42 miles north of Ephesus, but that Paul headquartered in Ephesus and then, and then through Ephesus and through the church in Ephesus, there were others that went out and planted churches all along, and that's how the other seven, six churches uh, came into being. And as we mentioned last week, the apostle John came to Smyrna after Paul left. So Paul, uh, uh, Paul didn't actually, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, Paul hadn't left Smyrna. I, that's a mistake here. Um, but Paul, but others had gone in and uh, evangelized and discipled and raised up the church in Smyrna. And, and so John came and John took over and John became the apostle then to that whole region. We mentioned that before. 
One character who was um, appointed by John and trained by John, discipled by John, was a man named Polycarp. Have you ever heard that name before? Uh, Polycarp was the bishop of Smyrna. And this was after the time of John. If you remember, John died around 95, 96 AD, something like that, maybe 98, latest 98. Um, John the Apostle died. Well, he uh, discipled this man named Polycarp. And, and he was, uh, you know, just a real godly man. And Polycarp, um, he was martyred for his faith. As I mentioned that there were many who were martyred for their faith, many, many Christians, because he would not declare allegiance to or, or declare that Caesar was Lord. And so Polycarp was put to death, burned at the stake. And, and at the end, here's his words, incredible uh, thing that he said. He said, 80 and six years have I served him. Now, he could have been as old as 100 at that time. But he never did me wrong. How can I now blaspheme my king who has loved me so, bring on the flames? And the story is, that's recorded in the historians, is that um, the flames didn't kill him, just like with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but rather uh, somebody had to go in and stab him to death. But he was, he was one of the first martyrs. Um, I mean, not the first, but, but among the first of the martyrs. And then, um, so let's talk about persecution. Let's talk about suffering. The name in Smyrna means myrrh. And myrrh is a perfume that is released. It's, it's, it's crushed and, and then, uh, and flour is crushed. And then the perfume or the scent is released from it. And so Smyrna, even in the name, is the, the beauty of Smyrna and the Smyrnans was released through pressing and crushing. The church was being crushed through persecution. And Jesus says, I know your poverty, your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. Now we don't know, and it's interesting because here's Smyrna. Smyrna is this wealthy city, a smaller city, but a very wealthy. And, and yet it says that they were poor. And there's two words that are used for poverty in, in Greek. One of them is panaya, which is a state of having nothing superfluous. In other words, um, you know, you, you don't lack the basics, but still you're poor compared to other people. The other word is, other word is <coughs> toreia, and that is, a, that is a word that says it implies beggary. It's a word used to describe the destitute, those who had absolutely nothing. And that's the word that's used here of the Smyrnans. And yet, they lived in one of the most prosperous cities in the, in the whole area. So we don't know exactly, you know, why they were so poor. And it, you know, it could be that um, it was by the persecutions that they were experiencing. Their homes maybe had been pillaged, their possessions taken away. Uh, that was common in that day. And so perhaps they had to resort to menial work and eat cheap food and so on. They were, they were poor. They were, they were just destitute people. And yet God commends them. Now, opposition comes from many different sources. 
or persecution. It comes from the government. And that's the case here. Uh, the Roman government, the church at Smyrna, had to face the pressure of declaring allegiance to the emperor. It's economic. I know your poverty. It's religious. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. It's physical. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer, suffer persecution for 10 days. And it's satanic. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you. So they had all five forms or sources of persecution aimed and directed at the church in Smyrna. And our greatest persecution many times comes from those who are religious. All right? Uh, and there have been probably more persecution because of religion than, most, than almost anything else. The, but the persecution coming from the, from the Romans, there were diseases that came back from the Parthian Wars and devastated Rome. And then there was the inundation from the Tiber, put the grain storehouses underwater. And so the result is that Rome went through a really difficult time and they blamed the Christians for it. Christians didn't have anything to do with it, but they chose the Christians to persecute because of what was happening in Rome. The Christians were the scapegoats. So Christianity became a crime. And the church is a picture of the period in history from about 160 A.D. to 320 A.D. And in 320 A.D., Constantine, if you remember this story, Constantine became a Christian. He was the emperor of the Roman Empire. He became, they, they say, you know, in quotes, became a Christian because we're not sure. But anyway, he made Christianity the, the uh, state religion of the Roman Empire. But this period from 160 A.D. to 320 A.D. called the Age of the Martyrs. And some have estimated as many as 5 million Christians became martyrs during that picture. That's according to Fox's Book of the Martyrs. How many of you have read Fox's Book of the Martyrs? I, I haven't read the whole thing, but I've read parts of it. Well, they were persecuted uh, beyond belief. Here's some of the descriptions. Their bodies were torn apart on racks. Their fingernails were pulled off. They were hung by their thumbs, oftentimes for days. They were wrapped in animal skins and thrown out for bulls to gore and pitch around. They were covered with tar and set alight in the gardens to light the festivities of the pagans, um, and, and so on. So it was, it was a you know, really gruesome persecution that they endured. And there were 10 separate edicts of persecution from the Roman emperors. Um, so beginning with the emperor Domitian in 96 AD, continued to Diocletian, the last emperor before Constantine, there were 10 periods of intense persecution. Persecution... The English definition is this. It's hostility and ill treatment, especially because of race or political or religious beliefs. All right? And people oppressing people is the history of the human race, isn't it? I mean, we see it now with the Russians uh, oppressing the Ukrainians. And, and I mean, it's just wherever you go, people are oppressing other people. And I've seen, you know, in the travels that we've done, I, I've just seen, you know, 
Everywhere I go, somebody is oppressed. You ever notice that? Uh, you know, there's a, there's a ruling class or a, a class that is, you know, on the top, but there's also those who are on the bottom, and the top persecute the bottom. And that's just human nature. Not, it's not right, but that's what human nature is. But I really began to, I really understood a lot about persecution. Um, I've got, I have up on the screen, um, next slide. Um, when I saw, this was in an article I read, and it listed the degrees of persecution. Okay, oh, get out of your way. <laughs> and it, and it's, this is in course, increasing level of persecution, okay? So we start out with disapproval, ridicule, pressure to conform, loss of educational opportunities, economic sanctions, shunning, alienation from community, loss of employment, go on, loss of property, physical abuse, mob violence, harassment by officials, kidnapping, forced labor, imprisonment, physical torture, and murder or execution. Now, that um, was a very significant thing when I, when I read that, and I realized a couple of things. Number one, I realized that persecution isn't just torture and murder. Sometimes we think it is. Okay, we're being persecuted. Well, uh, you, know, we've, we, you know, we've known friends that have, that have been murdered and so on. But persecution, it comes in degrees. And there's less persecution, you know, less persecuted all the way down to uh, murder and so on. The second thing I realize is this, that we have persecution in America. Okay? And I've, you know, I've heard people say, well, someday we're going to be persecuted in America. Well, we're, it's, it's getting more intense. And if you go back to that list, it's, you know, it's increasing in intensity. And things that we thought we would never see uh, 20 years ago, now we see happening. And degrees of persecution. But we don't see murder. We don't see mob violence and, and, and Christians burned at stake and things like that. But we do see uh, lesser degrees of persecution. And we have been blessed, um, Caroline and I, to know some of the Christian martyrs. Um, and the first one is Elizabeth Elliot. And if you remember, you remember the story of Elizabeth Elliot? Her husband, she and her husband, Jim Elliot, um, were murdered in Ecuador on January 8th, 1956. And, huh? I'm, I'm sorry, yeah, 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 she wasn't, Jim was, her, her husband was uh, murdered. And an interesting thing is that Elizabeth went back, she was gone for about a year, and then she went back and, and evangelized those same people who had killed her husband. She moved back with them and evangelized them for, for a number of years. She, and her, she took her daughter with her. And um, Elizabeth Elliot was, when Caroline was, she was on the women's board at the seminary that, uh, Gordon Conwell, and Elizabeth Elliot was the, uh, was the advisor to the group. So Caroline got to know Elizabeth. Uh, um, as I mentioned before, three Christians were murdered in Malatya on April 18, 2007. Um, I knew one of those, um, the fellow on the right, Nejati, uh, the fellow in the middle, um, who we got to know later, got to know his wife, um, and but we didn't know them at the time he was murdered. And then the one on the left, Ur, is, is uh, 
Okay. Um, and then we've also known uh, Andrew Brunson, who spent two years in prison. Uh, we have a pa Pakistani friend. Hmm? Huh? Yes, uh, yeah, okay, yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. Andrew was living in Smyrna when he was arrested and thrown in prison, and most of his time in prison um, was in Smyrna. Uh, other times he was up a little bit north, actually between where Smyrna is and Pergamum, right about in between those, those two cities. Um, and I, I have a Pakistani friend, a very interesting thing, and he, he works for Open Doors. You know that ministry, Open Doors? Um, and he works for them, and his job, his ministry, is to go into the areas where, there, where there's beginning to be um, a, a lot of dissent among the, among the people and persecution of Christians. And his job is to go in and try to educate and alert the people so that there's not a time of murder and you know, burning, burning churches and burning homes and that kind of, try to forestall it in some way or another. So it's an interesting kind of thing that they're doing. But there's also, um, and I don't know if you've seen this, it's called an open doors watch list. Any of you gone to that, seen that? Okay. It's a list of the most persecuted Christians in the world. And the countries are rated by the degree of persecution in that country, of Christians in particular. And right now, Afghanistan this last year became the most, the most persecuting country. Second is North Korea. And North Korea used to head the list and now is, you know, superseded by Afghanistan. Somalia, Libya, and Yemen, and so on. And most of the persecution, as you read through those 50 countries where their Christians are being persecuted, um, it, the predominance is through Islam or communism, one or the two, and probably more, most of them through Islam. As we said, um, it's often for religious reasons is one of the most difficult uh, you know, areas where people are persecuted. So, but here's the thing. As Christians, persecution is inevitable. All right? 1 Peter 4.12. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you. You know, don't look at it and say, oh man, you know, I, this is really unusual. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. 2 Timothy 3. You, however, know all about my teaching. This is, this is Paul speaking to Timothy. My way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecution, sufferings. What kinds of things happened to me at Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. And then this verse, verse 12. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Okay, so, so what we're experiencing in the United States right now, where we are seeing increasing levels of persecution, that's part of the Christian life. And I put down some reasons, and if you'll, Look in your uh, bulletins and pull out your sermon outline. And on the back of that, um, I've listed six reasons 
that we see scripturally of why we as Christians are persecuted. You see it? Is it there? Yeah, it's on the back side of it. Okay, and I'm going to just, you know, kind of skip through these, but I'd like you to, to look at these, take it home, and read through these, and read through the scriptures. First reason, everybody got it? First reason is because all who have tried to live, try to live a righteous life are, have been persecuted and will be persecuted. In Matthew 5, 12. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. All right? So in other words, we look at the history of the church, and Christians have always been persecuted. And, and before us, the prophets were persecuted. So Jesus was persecuted. John 15. Uh, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. All right? Jesus endured per persecution, and we as followers of Jesus, we are going to be persecuted. That's just part of the Christian life. And then the next one is very interesting to me. It's 1 John 3, 8. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Okay? So part of the reason that we are persecuted as Christians is that Jesus came to destroy the devil's work. The devil came to destroy Jesus' work. Jesus came to destroy the, the devil's work. So there's right, you know, right from the get-go, then there is a, uh, a destruction of the devil's work. And of course there's going to be persecution. Those who are led by the devil and who are, you know, uh, deceived by him are going to persecute those who are calling attention to it and who are following Jesus. Next reason, because we as Christians are committed to nonviolence. And so we're not going to fight back the way that others would. And the, those who don't fight back, as everybody learns from the school playground, are going to be beat up on. Next, because we have a foreign worldview. We have a different worldview. We're, we're strange people. Or at least I am. Maybe you are. <laughs> but, you know, we're, we're strange. We're different. And people don't like people who are different. Isn't that right? You know, we always, uh, you know, we always will have a difficulty with those who aren't like us. And lastly, because we're a reproof to their way of life. Uh, John 7, 7. It hates me, but, uh, well, uh, uh, the world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify that what it does is evil. So Jesus came to, to, tell the, um, to tell people in the world that what they're doing is evil. And when we point out to people that what they're doing is evil, they're not going to be very happy about it. Okay, so... Excuse me, I'm having to switch back and forth between these pages here. So it says here, um, this is John Stott. Now I love this statement. He says this, the condition of being despised and rejected, slandered and persecuted, is as much a normal mark of Christian discipleship as being pure in heart or merciful. I mean, we see that in Matthew chapter 5. Every Christian is to be a peacemaker, and every Christian is to expect 
opposition. Those who hope for righteousness suffer for the righteousness they crave. Universal popularity was as much the lot of the false prophets as persecution was of the truth. All right? So what we're saying is, if we're Christians, we better expect that we're going to be persecuted. Not that we welcome it. I mean, we don't welcome it, but we, we expect it. We know that we are going to be persecuted. We know that we're going to get, there are going to be difficult times. That's just part of the Christian life. It's 2 Timothy 3.12. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Period. They're going to be persecuted. Every day, 13 Christians worldwide are killed because of their faith. 12 churches or Christian buildings are attacked, and 12 Christians are unjustly arrested or imprisoned while another five are abducted. So the point is, we as Americans will, are being and will continue to be in increasing measure persecuted by those in, you know, in the general culture. The greatest number of Christians put to death for their faith was not in the first century, but in the 20th century. Hmm? You know, put that one on. In the 1900s, there were more Christians persecuted for their faith and martyred for their faith than in all, nine, all the other 18 centuries put together. There are 340 million persecuted Christians in the world today. One out of eight Christians is persecuted in some degree or another. In 2021, there were 4,761 martyrs, 91% of whom were in Africa. And, okay, so let's talk then about what is our response to persecution. What do we do about it as, as Christians? As Americans, what do we do about persecution? Well, verse 10, do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. So, so we're given in here what we do. What are we going to do? First thing is, we're, we're, we don't be afraid. The devil is the source of suffering and persecution, and here's the good is a of the devil. I mean, he can't, the devil, you know, he's on a leash, and God can pull him back whenever he wants to. Now, yes, we're going to be persecuted, but God is ultimately in charge, and we can have that kind of confidence. Believers are protected by the Lord. Satan can go just so far before Jesus pulls the, pulls the, uh, the, uh, the chain back. Ephesians 6, 11. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. James 4. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. 1 Peter 5, 8. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Okay? We have all the power that we need in Jesus' name to resist the devil. Yes, we're going to be persecuted. But we have the power to resist that. Second thing is that we are to be faithful, even to the point of death. And I think one of the greatest things that we face as Christians is that we look ahead and we look at what's coming on the world and we see the, the, 
persecution increasing in America, and then we get afraid. I've heard a lot of people say, you know, I just don't know if I can stand. I don't know if I can handle it. I don't know if I've, you know, am, am I going to give in when, when I'm persecuted and when somebody comes and, and says, you're going to be killed for the face? Am I going to give in? Am I going to be one of those who doesn't make it? Well, I'd like to encourage you. Persecution itself brings out faithfulness and endurance. Corey ten Boom had a, had a, um, a thing in the hiding place. And she had asked her dad about, um, you know, what am I going to do when, you know, if the German authorities come? And her dad said, Corey, when do you get the ticket when we go on a trip? And she said, well, right before I get on the train. And he said, that's the way it is with persecution. That is the, that, that's the way it is with when, when you face those, that persecution and you face those really difficult times, God gives you the ticket right as soon as you go through it. God himself will see you and see your persecution and God himself will bless you. Now, you may, you may, you know, you, you're going to suffer persecution. You may even die for your faith. But God will give you the strength. And that's part of what we have learned, knowing these Christians who are, have been persecuted and so on, is that, you know, they are just people like us. They're not super saints. Uh, you know, I, Andrew Brunson comes to my mind, you know, and he wrote, he wrote a book about what he went through in that time in prison. And the thing you get out of it is, he's just like me. He's no different than I am and different than you are, and yet God gave him strength through it. He, it was tough, but God gave him the strength to endure. And I, you know, we need to be encouraged that God will give you the strength to do what he calls you to do, to be faithful even to the point of death. God will give you the strength. God will bless you. God will help you in persecution. We don't need to be afraid. Amen. Have a song that Jesus gave me. It was sent from heaven above. It was never, never a melody. Tis a melody of love. In my heart there rings a melody. There rings a melody with heaven's harmony. In my heart a melody, there rings a melody of love. I love the Christ who died on Calvary, for he washed my sins away. He put within my heart a melody, and I know it's there to
us pray. Heavenly Father, though our numbers are light today, our spirit, your, your spirit makes us have a melody in our heart. And to, hear, and to know that as, as Christians or people, that we will be persecuted, that there's always a time of persecution, but you're there and we can look to you to lift us and hold us. As, as the poem says, sometimes you're carrying us completely, that we know that you will never abandon us, Lord. So we thank you for those people on this Memorial Day weekend who have died for our freedom, died to keep others from persecuting us, and for you who have kept others from persecuting us as well. This we lift up in Jesus' name. Amen. Lord, be with us till we meet again. By his counsel's guide uphold you. With the sheep securely fold you. God, be with us till we meet again. Go in peace.